Hello and welcome to the Men's Health Matters podcast. I'm Rob Klein from the Freemason Foundation, which has proudly partnered with the University of Adelaide to create the Freemason Foundation Centre for Men's Health. The centre supports young scientists who are dedicated to undertaking research, addressing some of the biggest health issues important to men. So far, we have produced hundreds of research publications and initiatives which make a difference in everything from depression and sexual health to heart disease and prostate cancer. The Men's Health Matters podcast series showcases some of our current research which is aimed at advancing the health and well-being of all Australian men. And now, here's your host, Cameron Giss, to take you through it. On this episode of the podcast, I talked to sleep researcher Dr Sarah Appleton, who is a postdoctoral research fellow for the Freemason Foundation Centre for Men's Health at the University of Adelaide. I think we can all agree there is nothing worse than getting a bad night's sleep. So hopefully you both enjoy and learn something from my discussion with Dr Appleton about some of the issues associated with sleep and what we can do ourselves to improve our own sleep. Here's my discussion with Sarah. Hello and welcome to the Men's Health Matters podcast. Um, today we'll be discussing sleep and uh, we're lucky, lucky enough to have Dr Sarah Appleton on the show. Um, who is an epidemiologist in this area. Um, Sarah, thanks so much for coming on the show. Thanks, you're welcome. So jumping straight into it, could you give um, the listeners a brief overview of your research and uh, and how it relates to men's health? Um, Okay. Um, uh, My work at the moment um, is really about identifying the prevalence um, of sleep disorders, and by that I mean like clinical sleep disorders such as sleep apnea or insomnia, as well as um, just the, um, the scale of the problem of um, sleep problems that people have um, in the community and what the health consequences are of, you know, of either sleep apnea or insomnia, as well as people short sleeping. Um, uh, and not just health problems, but just how it may affect their ability to function during the daytime. Yeah. Um, so in regards to the, the sleep survey that you've done, um, would you just be able to talk a bit more about about that and uh, kind of what was found in the survey? Okay, the sleep survey covered a range of um, issues relating to sleep and it was done in about just over a thousand uh, Australian adults um, nationally. Yeah. Um, they're aged at least 18. I think the maximum age was about 75. Um, and we found a number of issues relating to sleep duration, which is important, as well as um, other things in terms of uh, how um, their sleep impacted on their daytime function, like whether they felt tired, sleepy, fatigued, um, cranky, as well as other things. Um, we were able to relate sleep and sleep problems to things like um, driving drowsy and sickness absenteeism, um, as well as health issues. Yeah, I was having a look at the um, your notes before, and I was pretty surprised to see that um, you know having a, having a lack of sleep was similar to being under the influence of alcohol. Yeah, that's very true. Yeah, so yeah, it's like um, eighteen hours of no sleep. I think it equates to about a, a blood alcohol in the a blood alcohol level of point zero five. Yeah. But you can't really test for that, can you, on the roads or anything? No. Um, so I guess, um, you know, speaking as someone who sometimes struggles to sleep, 
what can people do to help help themselves and, and their sleep habits? I think it's all around um, getting yourself into a pattern of behaviour. Yeah. And, I mean, that specifically relates to trying to go to bed at the... I mean, they say, you know, you should just try and go to bed at the same time and get up at the same time. Yeah. Um, every day, which I think is very difficult because most people like to have a sleep in on weekends if you can afford to. Um, but also just... You know, there's this concept of sleep hygiene yeah. where, you know, your bedroom should just be a calm, quiet place with dim light and you're not supposed to, you know, you should avoid exposing yourself to um, activities that, you know, have you mentally aroused. And um, so, you know, if there's a lot of internet use that is going on that shouldn't be occurring. You know, looking at um, screens, tablets and devices and computers that are disrupting you know, having an impact on people's sleep. Yeah, I think that's a big one nowadays. Um, just having access to a smartphone from the time that you wake up to the time you get mm. to bed. Like I know myself, I'll wake up and I'm looking at my email or Facebook or whatever, and yeah. then you know before I go to sleep, it's the same thing. Yeah, so. it's easy. It's too easy to do, isn't it? Now. Yeah, yeah. So I guess um, from your perspective, what's the best way of helping people? develop better sleep habits or sleep hygiene oh look you know you need so like to, do you think it's you need to want to do it i think is the, yeah. the first issue and i think unless you have an impact that you're experiencing either you're tired or fatigued or grumpy during the daytime the motivation to actually change your sleep habits is, is quite difficult yeah but i mean there's we know that there's issues there's, we know that there's problems around sleep restriction can um Impact your ability to um, metabolize glucose. So insulin sensitive. There's some laboratory studies of people where they restrict their sleep and their insulin sensitivity goes off. And there's other laboratory studies that show that people's um, food preferences alter. So there's a, you know, sugar, high fat. So you know, if you can rationalize your need for good sleep in terms of a potential health consequence of just having poor food choices and, you know, wanting to maintain your cardiometabolic health then, yeah, I think that's that's probably the, the way to help yourself. In. Yeah, so I guess it's about, like, I guess knowledge, knowing the importance of sleep and then that yeah, kind of exactly. being a motivating factor. Yeah, yeah. Um, do you think that there's kind of any responsibility um, on the kind of educational sector or the government sector in terms of, you know, disseminating that knowledge or that? Research. Yeah, look, I think, um, I mean, we found that sickness absenteeism, um, which is, in our data, we looked at the number of people that had at least one day off in the last um, month because of a health, a physical or mental health problem. Um, and we found that um, about 27% of people reported at least one day off a week. And that was related to both um, the presence of insomnia and sleep apnea in the community. But when you took those people out of the equation, um, sickness absenteeism was still related to um, people reporting that they didn't get adequate sleep. So in terms of you know work productivity, there's clearly a relationship between sleep and that. And you know there's a point where maybe employers need to provide some sort of education or just positive sort of health promotion messages about don't work at and that's the other thing is that we know that um, there's a large proportion of people do work 
several nights a week in the hour before bed, and that's impacting on their daytime function as well. So um, there's a place for a broader emphasis on the importance of good sleep, be it within schools, um, universities, sickness absenteeism specifically, um, which was related to not getting adequate sleep was much more common in university graduates and in the younger people. And actually younger people, when we look at our data, they are the highest, like the 18, like the under 35s were the most likely to report what were they most likely to report? Um, un- waking unrefreshed, that's right. right. Um, they were much less likely to get adequate sleep, but they, and they were also um, the groups that were more likely to feel sleepy, fatigued, and you know, irritable and moody. So yeah. they have these symptoms during the daytime. Yeah, that's really interesting, I think, you know, because I'm in that group, and my brother and sister are probably um, in that older group now with kids and stuff, and their life's much more stressful, and they probably get much less sleep. But yet, you know, it's obviously still a problem for, for people, you know, in that, that younger age group that maybe don't have so much life stress but probably don't have the best habits around those uh-huh. kind of phone usage and being yeah. constantly mentally aroused. Yeah, well, short sleep. We found that um, in our data that um, about 12% of people sleep less than five and a half hours wow. per night, which is not great. No. And um, of them, there was about three quarters of them experienced um other issues around, like they were struck, they were having difficulty getting and to sleep and staying asleep, but then they were also having these daytime symptoms as yeah. well. Um, so, yeah, we know that short sleep is a risk factor for, for other things, for other mental, you know, for health conditions. Yeah. So, yeah, encouraging people to, to actually be in bed, you know, and actually sleeping for seven to eight hours a day is really important. Yeah. Um, so, I guess on those sleep conditions, such as sleep apnea or insomnia, um, what kind of other physical health problems do they cause or have a relationship with? Well, sleep apnea um, is a condition that's characterised by repeated either complete or partial closures of the airway during nighttime, so you're not breathing as much and your brain could be getting a bit hypoxic. Um, And our data suggests that there are relationships with a whole heap of medical conditions, including diabetes, um, hypertension, um, the metabolic syndrome, there's relationships with kidney disease, um, erectile dysfunction, as well as depression and impairments in um, quality of life in younger men, at least, with sleep apnea. Yeah, so it's obviously some pretty um, severe problems mm. that come from that. And so I guess with sleep apnea, if there's a listener out there that's suffering at the moment, what would your advice to them be? Our data suggests that most sleep apnea is actually undiagnosed. So um, we had a prevalence in men aged over 40 of about... Um, well, half of them had some evidence of sleep apnea, but in reality there was about 12% of the men who you would want to have treated because their sleep apnea was that severe. Um, the trick is those men getting diagnosed, and I think the issue is, you know, if you're a chronic loud snorer, um, and you'd be told that by a partner or somebody I'm, I'm sure would have told 
scenarios that that occurs uh, is that you probably just you tell your doctor that you're being investigated or, you know, to follow this up because it's likely that you may have... It's likely that you've got sleep apnea. Um, I mean, there are just people who are simple snorers, but the, the potential health risks associated with untreated um, sleep apnea are quite extensive, as we know. Yeah. And that's, you know, and the thing is, not all people that have um, sleep apnea have, you know, really drastic sleepiness during the day. And we, in our data, we find that sleep apnea is associated with a more, um, more with feelings of tiredness or fatigue, not this sort of, you know, falling asleep um, at traffic lights or after dinner. So people, so people with sleep apnea may be loud snorers and feel just a little bit, you know, crummy during the day. So um, the idea that GPs are looking for people that are falling, you know, are struggling to stay awake as well as being loud snorers is a bit um, dangerous because they're pop- that's probably not the people they need to be looking for. Yeah. So you, so you go to the doctor um, and you go through the process of getting diagnosed. What What's then used as treatment? For these people, uh, there are several options for uh, sleep apnea. For milder cases of OSA, they use basically um, they're called um, splints, which is basically a mouth guard that keeps your jaw sort of pulled forward, so that you you know you, you, your jaw just doesn't when you're asleep. You know how what it looks like when people lie on their back. Um, that's another issue. A lot of sleep apnea is it only occurs when people sleep on their back. So for milder cases, if you can get people off their backs or give them splints to keep their um, their jaw in the right place, they're not going to have this problem with their airway closing off. For more um, severe cases of sleep apnea, there's a thing called CPAP, which is continuous positive airway pressure, and that involves a mask that blows air into your airway to keep it open. Um, and that's become a lot more sophisticated over the years where the masks are smaller. There are other options, including surgery, but that's really drastic. And the sometimes men that have it um, will have remarkable results and say it was fantastic, but then there are also men that then end up having trouble swallowing because they laser away bits of your tongue and your throat. Yeah, and does sound So, yeah, some men have extraordinary results and others um, don't. Yeah. So CPAP seems to be the best option. Yeah. So um, in terms of your work and your research, um, where do you see that kind of progressing um, in the next few years? Uh, well, we'd like to see... Um, we'd like to identify, you know, generate more data that identifies longitudinal impacts of sleep, um, clinical sleep disorders as well as... Um, Sleep behaviours like short sleep and um, yeah, sleep factors on health, and then um, you know, and then once you've got the evidence that sleep causes is- or poor sleep causes issues, then you know it's a matter of identifying areas to change policy and um, management around these conditions, and get GPs involved and. Um, yeah, just much better health promotion advice for yeah. people to look after their sleep. So it sounds like it's going to be quite a collaborative effort. Um, and in regards to that collaboration, who are the kind of main collaborators that you work with 
Uh, we work very closely with um, researchers from the Adelaide Institute of Sleep Health, um, which is run by Professor Doug McAvoy. So that's um, they're the, the you know they're the people that um, see sleep apnea patients as part of their clinical practice. And um, yes, we work very closely with them around what we do with our data and hopefully how we can. Um, translate that into clinical practice but we also work closely with uh, researchers from um, Central Queensland University and this is um, Professor Sally Ferguson and Dr Amy Reynolds and they're very interested in circadian rhythms and um, impacts of shift work um, and work on sleep and how that affects people's health. Yeah. Um, So um, in reference to sleep hygiene, could you talk a little bit, a bit more about that and what it means and what people can kind of do to keep good sleep hygiene? Mm-hmm. Sure. Um, the idea around sleep hygiene is that you provide a sleeping environment that promotes sleep and um, that needs to be done in a number of ways um, and it's you know it covers what the sorts of things you do before bed, like you don't want to be doing exercise or having, um, you know, being stimulated um, with television or, you know, loud music or um, these sorts of things. And um, the infiltration of technology into the bedroom is just all sort of persuasive now, I think, in most age groups. And, uh, you know, it's just a really good idea to put away um, your devices, at least in the hour before bed, and just not expose yourself to a lot of bright light before you before you go to bed. So dim, you know, you know, be in dim light. Um, and there's this notion that you should also get rid of your alarm clock. And I mean, not everybody can just work on their own biological clock because there are there are nighttime sort of chronotype people. So there are the, you know you go to bed late and you want to get up a little bit later compared to the early bird types. Um, so, yeah, I mean, sleep hygiene also covers things around, um, you know, coffee as well. So you sort of eliminate, I mean, you want to avoid stimulants, I guess, be it um, uh, visual stimulants or just um, stimulants generally to promote a sleepy, calm environment. Yeah, and that can make a huge difference, can't it? It's yes. Like, yeah. um, well, thanks so much for coming on the podcast today, Sarah. If people have any questions about what we've been talking about or the research that you're doing, how could they contact you? Oh, look, um, I'm very happy to answer questions. Um, uh, and people are welcome to email me um, on sarah.appleton at adelaide.edu.au. Yeah, well, too, too easy. So, yeah, if you have any questions, hit up Sarah and I'm sure she'll be able to help you out. Um, thanks again, Sarah. Oh, you're welcome. Thanks, Cameron. Cheers. For more information, please visit the Adelaide Institute for Sleep Health website at www.adelaidesleephealth.org.au. Also, another reminder to sign up to our Men's Health Register. I swear, it only takes a minute or two and you have the option of getting regular Men's Health updates for our newsletter. Head to our website at www.adelaide.edu.au forward slash men's health for more info. Again, if you enjoy listening to the Men's Health Matters podcast, please head over to iTunes to subscribe, rate, and leave a review. Um, And yeah, thanks again, guys, for listening. Cheers.